0: One on One, a podcast about the people behind Renella Cricket, the stories of our club. You're going to see a different side to those you know. Discover the stories that haven't been shared, the men behind the cricketers, the lives that deserve to be documented. This is Renella One on One, thanks to Down Under Garage Doors. This week, our special guest, Marcus Williams.
1: It was a lot of rehab. I had people come to the home. I did stuff on the iPad, that sort of stuff. A lot of it was it was near pointless because nothing was working. My head was jelly. Yep. And look, to, to answer a lot of people's questions like, you know, it's been four years, you know, surely you would be sweet by now. And it's like, yeah, it's like I haven't improved for three and a half years. The little aids without those things, simple things like going to the cricket dinner. I've got to jam my earplugs in so I can just get through the night.
0: Hey there, great to have you back. We've got a real special one for you today. One which will enlighten you, but also inspire you. Marcus started his cricket in Tasmania, eventually working his way up to play against some of Australia's finest, including the one and only Ricky Ponting. But then after moving to Adelaide and playing a number of years of cricket at Renella, his life hit a major roadblock nobody saw coming. Just over four years ago, Marcus suffered a severe stroke And since then, his life has never been the same. But despite the setback, Marcus continues to be as determined as ever to play cricket for the pure love of it. It's a situation which is still understandably quite difficult for people to understand. So we are extremely grateful that Marcus could share some of his time with us on on 1on1 to tell his full story. Marcus Williams, welcome to 1on1, mate. Thanks, Tuggers um how are you mate how are you feeling it's really great to have you here just to start with i think
1: well thanks for having me yeah it's been um an interesting period um as i was saying just before listening to um all the episodes to date (laughs) yep um been really good learnt lots of stuff and uh I guess the deep down vibe of uh, what people are thinking, what's happening around the place.
0: It is uh, it is a fantastic place of course, we have so much happening all the time, we just need to do our best to cover it all and just to start with, I think obviously everyone understands your situation to an extent um, and we'll get to that later on, but um, just for you to be here right now and having a chat with me, I'm sure it's it's probably pretty pretty nerving for you.
1: Uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's a bit, I don't get nervous very often. Mm. Um. I do want to put the pads on. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) However, this is a bit different. Never done this type of thing before. Lots of things, but
0: not this. (laughs) We can try and recover as much um, from your early days as I can possibly can. That's what my job is here today, is to try and get as much out of you as possible. And I'd love to get a bit of an idea of where it started for you in terms of cricket, because um, we know how talented you are and how talented you have been throughout your cricketing life. Um, to, where, did it, where did it sort of start? Did you have a dream as a kid to want to play cricket at a top level?
1: I oh, look, I grew up in a little country town called Smithton in Tassie. And I don't know, I think everyone wanted to be a pro. Mm. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, it was very f- a flippant. Yeah, mm-hmm. like with probably a lot of kids, but would I have uh, hurt someone for it or killed for it? No, <laughs> I wouldn't have. No. Um, so probably not mentally strong enough to, to go to the next level and, really uh compete they're a different breed those guys
0: yeah there's some serious um commitment levels so you're saying um you sort of start off playing as a kid as as sort of a recreational vibe about it and didn't really have the the passion so much to want to go all the way oh look the
1: passion was there i guess for cricket itself Mm -hmm. uh not so much with the the goal at the end yeah um as a as a young bloke um in tassie you know it's a bit of a different world um Mm -hmm to here. We didn't have teams and teams of junior cricketers. Mm. I look out here and we've got, it seems like hundreds of them run around <laughs> all the time which is great. Um, so for me it was it was half a dozen games of school cricket um, probably in my school life, yeah. maybe ten. Um, they used to run country week which was I think it was about four games, one after the other against our own age group mm-hmm. which was really quite re- weird because my cricket started with a couple of, um, I guess, uh, local legends, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Funny, they were probably my age now. Um, A couple of blokes, Bruce Hampson and Len Gaby, were probably my first arm around the shoulders to say, we think there's something about you as a player. Can we we get you on board? So that was, uh, I I used to bat with Bruce in the B grade. So we're talking men's B grade. I would have been i'm thinking 14 but i might have been 13 14 slash ish wow um and then um the thing is as a result of my stroke i i remember basically nothing of mm. cricket at that stage and uh hence my notes but uh, it wasn't long after i got to play with uncle len mm-hmm. he, he was a local legend you know he was the gabby hoppy style bloke of the local place could play anything and um yeah, Uncle Len, was, he, he was okay, and he used to pick me up as well as uh, Bruce used to, pick me up, drop me off.
0: Yeah.
1: I was a bit older then, um, playing A reserve, I think. I got promoted, so I must have done something. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> what. well. I was going okay, apparently. Yeah. And and then, uh, to be honest, I, I actually can't remember um, how much A-grade cricket I played prior to getting hunted by the
0: coastal sides, burning and, and in the in the district league. So... Obviously, you, you moved to that level and then you would have at some stage, obviously, as you mentioned, had influential people around you and were there players uh, above you that you were sort of competing against and tried to be, uh, tried to beat? Um,
1: oh, I guess, yeah, no, because I never believed that I was better, okay. I guess, to answer that question. You know, there was guys at, we knew that, uh, guys like Sean Young that played for Tassie in Australia mm. and played against Michael Devenuto and Brett Lee. Mm-hmm. Not the Brett Lee that everyone's thinking of, but probably a better Another Brett <laughs> Lee, a local one, hopefully yep. he's listening. <laughs> uh, a young fella called, um, a couple of people around the place might know, a young fella called Michael Maney, he uh, used to intimidate me to the back teeth back really? in the day. Yeah, He'd when he love was... to hear that now. I've talked to him about that, <laughs> and uh, he was a little bit surprised, but I know he wasn't. <laughs> I was a young whippersnapper, and he was in the prime of his life, so... Um, it used to be quite interesting with his offies, and um, I do remember facing a few overs. I don't know if he ever got me, but no yeah. doubt, probably.
0: <laughs> no doubt, he'll, he'll let you know as well <laughs> if he did. Um, now, I've got here, now I've obviously off the top of my head written down that you eventually represented Tasmania. Now, I'm, I'm sort of erring on the side that you, you didn't quite get that far, is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah, not even close. Not even close? Not even close. Closer
0: than I would have to play for my state, but I'm sure you're around the mark.
1: Yeah, look, once, one winter season, we I was lucky enough to jump into the um, the sheward squad, which was, again, from memory, I reckon it was probably two and a bit teams worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rod Tucker was the captain of the, the team then, I think. the mm-hmm. uh, He's a current umpire, international umpire. Um, uh, who else was there? Blokes like Danny Buckingham were floating around and, and that type of thing. And um, But getting back onto the main point, yeah, Ricky Ponting, he was the superstar of yeah. uh, players that, that I saw um, I played against him two or three times At least two that I can remember I still have a sore hand from catching him at Wynyard one day In the covers And that was 25 years ago How good's that? Oh, He smashed one and I think I picked it up Nearly out of the grass
0: oh, Wow, so you're but, lucky
1: Yeah, and it hurt And uh, I think he was 50 odd And uh, he was on his way <laughs> He wasn't impressed
0: That's a great thing to claim <laughs> I mean seriously, I'll, I want to touch on that You've played alongside some great cricketers As you said, but to talk about Ricky Ponning as someone who was sort of, you were around him during the time he was making his way up. He ended up winning and captaining Australia in World Cups and Ashes Series and um, all the like. You get to look back and say you played with one of the world's best cricketers of all time. How lucky do you feel in that regard?
1: Oh, really lucky and it's, I've probably never been asked a question before. Um, a real privilege and I, I often refer back to the experience, I guess. Um, he just impressed me so much and we were we were kids, he would have been, you know, sixteen, seventeen mm. and to this day, you know, I've never seen a guy play off the back foot and smash people through covers at will. Yeah. And he was a kid. And, you know, kids aren't that strong mm. and he hit the ball as hard as anyone. And I'm playing against guys that are six four, you know, big guys like Dale Baker comes to mind, you probably don't know him. Yeah. Michael will know him, but big unit. Hits the ball hard, but um, he was just just a class that I'd never seen before and he made the rest of us look a bit average.
0: Isn't that remarkable because you, 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 every, every level that you play at, there's always you know, that top tier of players that you just go, oh, wow, they're, they're so much better than all of us. But he's regarded as one of the best players of all time. So for you to say, oh, he's, he, he's not just that top tier, he's clearly levels above that. Mm. that's remarkable to think that you got to witness that at such a young age
1: the the funniest thing that I saw him do is um we are playing I believe it was under seventeens, so it was like a, a try tassie thing Yep. and uh Mike DiVanetto was the captain of the south at the time so we're playing the northeast which is Ricky's team up at on the main Launceston ground mm. and our uh, keeper I didn't know at the time but uh, Ricky finished up 170 odd not out and uh Hence, that was the day that I went, wow, well, who's this guy? Yeah. The guy is a freak of nature. And uh, being the skipper, and we'd all been smoked, I thought, well, I can get smoked just as well as these guys. <laughs> I'll come on and bowl a few at him. So um, the first three, he blocked back down the down the deck, and I went, this is good. Bit of respect? Yeah. <laughs> The next three, he met me about seven metres down oh, no. <laughs> and launched me back over my head. And um, luckily there were only fours, but uh, yeah, the finish the over was, uh, they brought it to a pretty sharp end. Pretty ugly finish. <laughs> it wasn't good. But the, the, the class of the guy, um, probably the best story. Um, uh, Launceston's got some nice big oak trees up basically over the right hander's cow corner. And uh, Ricky was um, quoting to our keeper, he was up to the stumps. He was telling our keeper where the next ball to our spinner was going to go. Yep. He's he's quoted the oak tree and he's he's hit it. And I think it still went for six but missed by about a cricket pitch length. Oh, jeez. And he wasn't happy. He was not happy. He was hand, disappointed. <laughs> he was, yeah, didn't go where he said. The next ball went into the tree about three-quarters of the way up. Wow. And uh, he just did things at will and had he was just so far ahead of the game and you could just tell by the way he moved around and, he knew in the mind that he was going to make it. And I walked away going, wow. And I think within nearly two years to the day he played for the country. So
0: Wow. Yeah. So, so to say, And to then obviously watch him play cricket on telly. You would have seen him play around the world. He then became the captain of your national team. Um, he talks at press conferences. He, he leads the charge. He's on uh, every cereal box around the country. And then he's now commentating on TV as one of the most respected people in the land in terms of cricket. Um, I mean, you, you just must look back at that and go, how, for one guy who I saw at that age play so well and have such great standards for himself, go on and do so well. I mean, I, I don't know what word you put to that. Is it, is it proud to see someone like that? Was it, um, I, I don't know. How how do you, how do you put that into words? I
1: feel a whole lot better about that day now.
0: Is that how it is? That's the feeling. <laughs>
1: it is. I got smoked everywhere and he made us look all second class Yeah, and, um, So given the fact that he'd finish up being one of the best players ever, I can cop that. I'll take take my 12 off the over (laughs) because I know that he's hit people for more that were way
0: better than me. (laughs) I love that. And and you know what? That's a story to cherish, that sort of one. And I'm glad we've got it here on One on One. Now, where was your cricket at that stage as well for yourself? Did you uh, have your mind set on reaching Shield cricket at at some point? I mean, you said you weren't exactly always keen to want to go to that next level, but... I mean, you, as you were going through the ranks, did you have any intentions of changing your mind? The, the thing
1: was, I talk about Ricky Pining and the experience around that and then seeing guys like, um, you know, Sean Young, Michael DiVenuto come through, um, Danny Buckingham, these guys that I got to see, mm. not week in, week out, but they were always around the place and 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 they were just amazing and, and I used to be able to look at them and go, wow, there was almost like a, Wow, they're just that much better.
0: Did you feel out of your depth in that sense?
1: Probably did. Yeah. Um, and and the type of bloke I'm a lot different of a bloke now than what I was as a junior. So um, the difference was obvious. Okay. Um, there's there's another story I could talk about, Mr. Ponting, but I'm not going to go there <laughs> for for risk of of trouble. But I was just uh, the end result was he did nothing wrong, mm. but this the mind strength of that guy was amazing. Mm. And I walked away with just so much wow factor mm. um, around that guy. He was just so much better.
0: Let's um, let's talk arrival at Renella. I'm I'm in the belief that it was around 1999 to 2000. Would I be correct in saying that? Yes, yeah, so it was
1: the 3rd of July. I think Wows. it was.
0: You've got the exact day for me.
1: Yeah, of 1999. Wow. Um, yeah, we come to Adelaide on a whim. We were out of farming and we went well we're young and silly go and give adelaide a try we <laughs> yep, yeah. we nearly went home a couple of years in so um yeah that's a whole other story but uh but just by chance we found a house just up up above yum Sing. that was the mm-hmm. deal clincher for me and so once once that was there it was uh pretty straightforward we oh, i jumped in the car and i might have looked in the map back in those days oh, in geez. the map book
0: you got not have a gps
1: yeah, and nah, had to look it up, so I found a, a local ground called Renella down here, so I'd, I'd come and had a look down here, drove in, picked up the vibe, drove out, went down to Morfell Vale, picked <laughs> up the vibe down there, <laughs> Yep. had no idea, went, yeah, the vibe's better at Renella I'll go there. Right. Plus it's closer by about five minutes anyway. And, and that's uh, how you
0: made your choice, you made your mind up coming here based yep. on a little drive down the road.
1: Yeah, and I rocked up the train and I, I think I said to Foxy or someone, um, here for a hit. Yeah um yeah the rest is history
0: wow how about that that's an unbelievable and you were here for a number of years and you then left for work reasons from from my knowledge and then you returned again about what was that 2011 2012 around that
1: time yeah it was it's funny it was one of those things where those years where i was away working and so on and then the weekend work finished yeah and then it's like you know life continues on and i just happened to trip over uh hoppy at uh kids footy at no one day yep. and we happened to be like seriously two meters apart didn't realize for a minute mm. uh, and he, he's like straight into me Play cricket it's playing it's cricket. cricket and it was just the, I, it was just the question you know i'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> what's going on and i think i decided seven minutes later that i was in i had yeah. I had to go and buy new gear it was all gone you <laughs> know it was all destroyed and Weather beaten.
0: Can I stop you there? How much of that was Hoppy's persuasion? Because he has that about him, or was it you just going, I want to get back?
1: He would have done really well if he sold um, Holden's or uh, Ford (laughs) or something like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: And obviously, you played in an A3 Premiership not that long after you came back. That was down at Brighton?
1: Yeah, I think that was first year back with Riso. Yeah, that's the one. I think, yeah. Um, Do you have
0: many memories from that Premiership year?
1: No. No, I don't. I remember a couple of snapshots of the day. Yeah. I knew that it was really bad. Yeah. And we were going down. We weren't going too well. We were the Titanic Mm -hmm. that just hadn't disappeared yet.
0: And then a little beacon of light named Campanac came to the crease and whipped away the winning runs.
1: Yeah, we talked about Ricky Ponning, but I tell you, the the leg glance, (laughs) it is still probably one of the greatest cricket shots I've ever seen. Or maybe one of the most successful shots we've ever seen, <laughs> but it was an absolute cracker. And I, I do remember that to a really infinite detail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I remember not much about the rest of the day. Oh,
0: and you know what? It's the winning memory that sort of uh, lives the highest. Um, but let's move on to, obviously, in 2014, the season was obviously coming to a close and It was March 9th where some really bad news uh, came in terms of your life, Marcus, and this is seriously um, stuff that nobody saw coming, and I bet you and your family wouldn't have even dreamt would come close to happening to you. You suffered a bilateral multiple stroke, Um, and for those who aren't aware of that, what what that is, that's where the the blood flow uh, is cut off to both sides of the brain. And the brain cells then lose the oxygen and glucose needed to survive. Um, so walk me through, if you can, that week, perhaps, um, because for you and your family, that must have been absolutely terrifying.
1: Yeah, look, I was probably the passenger in that whole week. Right. Um, the stroke—I um, only had one stroke, but the actual stroke was quite pleasant. It was—it was great. <laughs> and I know they—I know they all some they're not all like that yeah. they're all different and yeah. that's that's the that's the key part for me it was quite pleasant i really didn't know much about it look seriously you could have run me over and yeah. I, I wouldn't have cared right it was a very strange um experience experience yeah. yeah um it would have been a whole lot worse like it was um it was the march long weekend yeah it was a sunday night we were home for the weekend just minding my own business about to go to bed at been watching telly and it was pretty casual i'd been um i think the three of the last four weeks i had been away for work so it'd been a pretty pretty flat out time mm. and um all of a sudden i just felt weird mm. just out of the blue there was yeah no warning. no warning sign whatsoever no no doctor history or yeah. anything so it was a complete shock but um i guess the hero that the whole time has been uh my wife carrie she She's the hero in the whole thing. She, she knew straight away mm. what, what had happened, um, just some of the things that I'd said. I lost all my feeling down my right side and three-quarters of my vision, so I've, I've run into a couple of doorways, didn't feel a thing. Yeah. Um, my shoulder's finally right about four <laughs> four years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do remember running into the walls, and I do remember not being able to see. I guess we're, we're the, the hero thing. It is midnight. Mm. what do i do do i call triple zero do i mm-hmm. what do i do mm-hmm. you know if it was me i think some people would have just said look sleep it off mate you'll be right." it's midnight all oh, that it's a hassle yeah but she knew that she'd get me to the hospital quicker than probably the ambulance would she took a punt and to this day i believe was the right one um because it wasn't long we we're in the car i was able to walk into the walk to the car and walk into the hospital mm. and i do remember that um and then I remember one of the one of the ladies there being fairly rude at the hospital. Yeah. I think she thought I was a really messed up drug addict <laughs> who had some issues. Wanted to speak to the problem. Oh no. And I think I, I sat down and then she just walked off and I thought, That's a bit rude <laughs> And next minute there was a call and the next minute there was about thirty people around, maybe mm. ten. Um, you know, ripping gear off and wheeling me around and sticking things in my arm it was all a bit serious
0: yeah and and then it really um, it must have hit you and is that all you can remember from that day
1: pretty much I don't remember after probably midnight yeah um, the drugs they stick in you yeah uh, basically it's I call it you know it's either petrol or thinners or both and and that kills you for the first couple of years because it ain't good for you um, however it did its job um you know I got the feeling back in all my limbs um, I got Sort of two thirds of that blindness come good. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'm still quite blind, and I could probably show you yeah. for the for the sake of the story a couple of pictures. So that's yeah. a that's a picture of the oh big goodness, the big gap in my head.
0: Yeah, wow. I'm I'm so to paint a picture for the listeners out there. There's uh, it's a it's an image of obviously your your brain, um, an X-ray taken, yep. um, and there's. Um, a, a large green spot that let's let's say is probably one fifth to a quarter of your. I, I believe that's your frontal lobe.
1: Eh, now you're testing me, mate. I reckon that's the back. That's the, <laughs> the back. The
0: back. So that, so the back part of your brain is is basically it, it's it's gone.
1: Yeah. So there's literally a hole there. Yeah. I could probably park a yeah. small camper trailer in there. Wow.
0: That that's news to me. Wow. And and you've shown me another photo here. It's. Your vision, mm. and so I'm looking. It's a, it's a circle with a crosshair through the middle, and the top right corner is is all black. So I'm taking from that that you can't see no. from that. So your vision is that both eyes or one eye? Both eyes. Both eyes. Mm. The top right hand corner is is not visible.
1: Yeah. So in a cricket sense, it makes it pretty awkward. Um, wow. At first start, you know, my brain, mm. the cogs are quite dry and they turn quite slow yes so i'm okay to a certain speed however if the ball gets outside of the crosshairs you know in the top right corner yeah um yeah it it gets a bit impossible it it gets it gets scary yeah because sometimes i just don't i've heard the crack and i don't know where it's gone wow um you know
0: so so let's let's just let's imagine that so i'm standing at um at a cover or point or something in the field and the bowler's racing in and I'm just going to shut my eyes for a second as he's going into bowl and the batsman goes to hit it. That's basically what you're experiencing.
1: Mm, if it comes straight at me and I pick it up, yep, it's all sweet. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, but so, as soon as... Sometimes the, <laughs> I see it and the gears don't work and the yeah. hands don't move. <laughs> of course. That happens yeah. nowadays. Um, I've had a couple bursts through my hands because I, I just didn't get them up. Yeah. I saw it. Whoa. Just didn't work. Um, I've spent a fortune on sunglasses. I've found that a special type of sunglass mm. colour actually helps me pick up the ball sideways. Yeah, right. So the last year or so, the last season or so, I found it easier. Yeah. But the first couple of seasons was just plain terrifying, and mm. you know I was struggling in the nets. So I'm just I hear cracks, and it's like being in a in a gun club.
0: Oh, I could yeah. So you you just have no idea where it's coming from, and and the the, the quick vision to pick it up isn't there obviously. No. So. Um, i can 't imagine and many everyone else i can 't imagine would know how to deal with a situation like that, and yet you do it almost every couple of days of the week during cricket season and then in a game um, that 's that 's remarkable, especially your vision. I thought that was that was really interesting, of course, the lower half of your vision is is there, so you can see obviously the pitch and the bowler coming in, but when it 's coming from a, a top corner of your eye uh, that 's that 's really difficult, so for you to go out and do some of the things you do on the weekend is remarkable. I'll get back to that, though, because I <laughs> want to take a quick backward step. Speaking about the stroke itself, and you mentioned your wife, Kerry, the role she's played in your life. You are <laughs> you are a lucky man.
1: Yeah, look, I didn't finish off what I was going to say about Kerry. No. So appreciate oh, you um, uh, bringing that up again. Yeah, look, she, she has had to... I mean, she's my full-time carer, basically, and this is the part the club and people around the club don't see. Mm. Um, she drove me here tonight yeah. because I was struggling, yeah. and she'll have to drive me home because I'll probably run into a tree on the way home. Yeah. That's just how we live now. Um, our, she's had to give up her work to just to be able to manage. You know, In four years, we've had something like, we reckon, about 150 appointments, mm-hmm. everything from the standard old GP through to the highest guru, go-fast doctor we know. Yeah. Um, and and you know here we are.
0: So so let's let's go through those. So you have a range of appointments, obviously, that occur. What what do they sort of consist of?
1: Oh look, early days, Tigers. It was it was a lot of rehab. Um, mm-hmm. We I had people come to the home. Um, I did stuff on the iPad, that sort of stuff. A lot of it was quite early. Mm-hmm. Um, there was it was near pointless because nothing was working. Head mm-hmm. was jelly. Yep. Um, However, I've done as, as much as that as I can. Everything I do is almost rehab.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and look, to, to answer um, a lot of people's questions, it's like, you know, it's been four years, you know, surely you'll be sweet by now. And it's yeah, like, yeah, it I haven't improved for three and a half years. Like yeah. There was a plateau about six months in. Um, and the only improvement, improvement I have now is where I add an addition to some new things to help me get a bit more out of my day. Like yeah. I mentioned sunglasses and yep. I've got special things to keep noise out. So without so little those, aids, yeah. little aids, without those things, simple things like going to the cricket dinner, mm-hmm. I've got to jam my earplugs in so I can just get through the night. Wow. Um, and then I spend the next week getting over it. So I have to choose what I do and don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, just to come and talk to you, I've essentially been in a coma all day just, just for this. Wow! So the commitment, I suppose, is, you know, even I'm seen and heard too much, I, I still have to um, choose what I do and don't do.
0: That's, that's remarkable. And to think that that's what you have to go through just to come out for a couple of hours in a day, um, it, it seriously blows me away. Um, so you gave me a small image of what your life consists of in that sense. You, do you still do little exercises and bits and pieces to train, or not to train, but to keep your brain busy?
1: Yeah, look, I guess over the time I have um, done, you know, lots of everything that you can think of I've had a go at. Yeah. Um, brain apps and all this sort of stuff, you know. I got into cycling mm-hmm. pretty heavy and and uh, obviously cricket's big. Um, you know, the last few years is, is on the rehab side of it. Um, you know, with it's been great doing a little bit of coaching at the club. Last year as well, I was able to then research the coaching side of it and then and be able to then pass it on to the guys that are looking for the next step or whatever um so i've probably studied that i've i don't know i've got a what do you call it a uh, bachelor of uh, cricket at, at home that i did myself <laughs> yeah and didn't do any exams mind you but um if guys are going to ask questions i need to have some sort of an idea of, of where to go with different things so i've studied that
0: you, you mentioned just before riding your bike now that's been a really important piece of therapy for you, hasn't it, in, in recent years? Yeah,
1: look, it has. Um, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about the blindness part, but I'm technically um, legally blind to drive. Yes. So I've had to then jump through the squillion hoops, hence about 30 uh, appointments, Yeah. to then be able to prove that I can scan well enough to drive. So I've been signed off, I can drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I just choose not to a lot. As a result, you know of the fatigue. Fatigue's my number one massive yep. issue. So that's why the everyone ends up driving me here, there, and everywhere, and I'm always scabbing rides off the guys on Saturdays. Mm. And and look, the reality is, without them guys doing that and helping me on Saturdays, like I get a massive amount of help on Saturdays from the guys. Um, so know.
0: so so let's 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 talk about that just quickly. So what sort of help do you receive on Saturdays to get up for a game? Because that's difficult.
1: Yeah. Look. Um, I I can't score, for example. So we're a man down. I'm I'm good for about three minutes, and I'm usually stuff up about six times. And it's like, <laughs> give me the pen. And uh, you know, I, I struggle with decision making, so umpiring's an issue. And with the fatigue, I, every every waking minute, I'm just trying to rest up for when I'm required. So whether that be to bat or whether that be to be in the field or whatever, I'm I've just. It sounds crazy. It's a five-hour day, yeah, and and literally do you know? might do an hour's work in that time, yeah. Um, but it's it's hard work, absolutely. By the time you get there and get home, and um, for me, it's it's I just like it that much that it's worth it. If the day that, I guess the day that will come where it's not worth it, yeah, um, it'll be the day that I'll have to pull the pin because it it'll just become real hard work real quick. Yeah, but at the moment, I'm still. I still feel like I'm learning, I still feel like I'm getting better mm-hmm. as far as LO2's mm-hmm. way different to how LO4 used to be. Yeah. It's, it's a completely different ball game. And we challenge weekly and, and I've been forced to get better. So that's has brought the fun back into it. So when it's like, oh, I'm getting old, but it's like, yeah, I'm getting old, but still fun. So every week's a challenge. So they don't want you to get your runs, so it becomes a whole new game. Half of it's a mind game. So trying to find new ways to score and, and push back.
0: It's a great challenge. And I it love is. how that you've, and you still enjoy it so much. That's a great thing. Now, I want to mention one person who has been influential, especially in the last four years, and that's Andrew Semple. And he's been a, a great friend of yours for um, the time since um, that stroke and has really helped you with your cricket and get you back to really enjoying cricket. Um, describe that relationship that you guys have because you spend a lot of time together during summer.
1: Yeah, look, we do. Um, when I came back, uh, from the time out, uh, Samps was coach then uh, Gabby was uh not Gabby um Riso was at the wheel and um hence 10 11 years or whatever out of the game my feet as you if you ask Samps didn't go anywhere yep. at any time and I think I got LBW more times than um Brit Julian uh yeah that's his name <laughs> so um I had a, had a big dummy spit and I think SEMPS probably threw down about seven and a half million balls um, trying to fix my front leg. And did it work? Um, yes, uh, oh, eventually he got it. there. So I think um, I've only been LBW a few times in the last few <laughs> years, so it's been worth it. But yeah. look, the serious side of it, he, he came to me and he said, look, what do you reckon? Do you want me to, want me to come play with you? Mm. I'm like, yeah, how good would that be? Mm. And and I just knew from that their question um, how much professionalism he would then bring to the group, and and what I love about our little team, and it's always changing. Our goal is uh, Semps and I. We're always trying to drag guys up. Mm-hmm. You know we want to win, but if we have got to win and upset one of the blokes we're trying to work with, well that's not interested. And we're not interested in that. Yeah. We're, we're interested in growing guys and having them come through the club. Because I guess it's a different sort of an opportunity. Like, who knows? If I was still good enough, I might still be playing A grade and yeah. still be just bored with it and what am I doing? Mm. But in this sort of situation, it's a positive one. I don't know how much Sampson's got left in him, but, um, you know, he's been around a long time. So, you know, he's been given permission to pull the pin whenever he wants. <laughs> he's, he's been more than a um, massive help to me, technically wise and as a bloke. He's one of the few guys that has tried to understand the situation and dig a little bit deeper and, and try and find out and try and get a grip and no one no one truly can i don't even get it mm. i don't know why i can do this stuff one day and not the next yeah it's just how it just is um so yeah he's tried really hard um gfh as well has been a he's a he's been a massive pillar as well as far as on game day he's he's a great team manager and Things just happen. I know things don't just happen. He makes it happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I ruck up there grumpy and buggered at lunchtime and he's got the all the stuff set up and got the troops organised. So um, that's good. Hopefully I've answered that question. You've,
0: you've nailed that question. We'll get back to Marcus in just a moment. But first, I want to preview our upcoming guest, a life member of our club, a former A-grade captain and a multiple premiership player. He shared with us on One on One one of the more extraordinary life decisions he'd been left to make.
2: Not too many people would know this, but there was a game down in Old Nalunga where we were under the pump and Belinda was pregnant with Ashley. Mm -hmm. And the Friday before the second week of that game, uh, we thought Belinda had had a miscarriage. So I said, look, I can't play the second day of of that game. And then it must have been about three o'clock in the afternoon, I get a phone call and it's Semps. We're in some trouble. We need you to come down. Cricket's the last thing on your mind. On Cricket sport. was the absolute last thing on my mind. And I, I said to Belinda, uh, we had actually found out that Ashley had a twin. The twin, unfortunately, hadn't developed, but we still had Ashley. So that was the main thing. I said to Belinda, look, this is what's happening. I'm happy to stay. I really, you know, they can deal with it, to be totally honest. And she said, look, no, just go. So I flew from Trot Park all the way down to Old Nolunga. <laughs> and all I could remember was just standing at the crease, ball of my eyes out, thinking I shouldn't be here. That's Paul
0: Radbourne, our very next guest on One on One. Now, let's continue our journey with Marcus. You played, as you said, you started off playing in the LOs and you played in the LO4 Premiership against Goodwood um, in 2014-15. That was a really uh, victorious season for the team. But also for yourself, you played brilliantly and it was sort of your your return back to cricket. That was, start of the season was about six months after the incident. So, I mean, that must have meant a lot for you to come straight back into cricket, not missed a whole lot and you've still been able to achieve uh, something remarkable.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and again, I couldn't have done it without the support of the guys. Mm. Um, I've said it, people might think it's a bit of a cliche throwaway. However, if they decided to get upset with me one day and not help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all turned to uh, turned to poo fairly quick. And uh, I'd be staring down the barrel of uh, hanging the boots up. Yeah.
0: Now, I mean, you don't even have to say any more. I just want to read out some of your numbers, okay? These are your limited overs numbers for the last four seasons. Just to illustrate how dominant your cricket has been. 2017-18, uh, you had 20% more runs than the second best player in the comp. you had 30% more runs than the second best player in the comp. In 2015-16, you were third in the competition for runs with 650, so that's not even a bad season. And then in that premiership year, 2014-15, you had 57% more runs than the second best player in the comp. That is more than double the amount of runs than the second best player in the entire comp. That's how dominant you've been. So let's just go over it. You've hit 2,830 runs at an average of 49.3 over those four seasons, including 400s and 2150s. Marcus, that is unbelievable, mate. Unbelievable. And not just to, just to top it off, you were obviously the limited overs player of the year last season across all the divisions. Um, does, that just, uh, does that blow you away, mate? I, I, honestly, I'm reading those numbers going bloody wow. I'm not real good with
1: numbers, so I didn't really hear a word you said.
0: But you, essentially you are two to three times better than every player in each comp for the last four seasons with the bat in hand.
1: Yeah, no, I don't believe that's the case, but you the probably expect me it. to say that. <laughs> um, there are guys out there that uh, play different roles in this, in their teams, yeah. and um, you know I try and play my role, but they play their role, and some of them, are, if they really wanted to go after it, that would be hunting me pretty bad.
0: Have you, have you got a media strategy guy in your corner here? Cause <laughs> that's the most straight down the line answer I could possibly get. But seriously, they are some numbers that um, I think are just to another level and um, it's it's been seriously enjoyable to come back to the club each weekend and hear that you've gone on to hit another 50 or 100 and whatnot. Um, you've been absolutely incredible. I'm just going to ask you one last question and, and I want to know if it's fair for me to ask this. How many more seasons do you aim to play cricket for I'll
1: play until I'm not challenged anymore by these blokes because yeah. I'm challenged a lot. Yeah. Obviously physically and and the way the game's played at this at this level mm-hmm. and and the shape that I'm in maybe it's an advantage because I never feel in mm-hmm. I ne- when I'm batting I never feel feel in mm-hmm. as you used to. Um, so maybe I don't get myself out as much because I'm never in that's a good point (laughs) so maybe my the tip of the day is never feel in and you'll probably bat longer and I think that's probably comes down to that's probably the key point because I keep it simple and for some reason I hit the ball as hard as I used to so I must get away with a bit more
0: now I'm just going to wrap this one up because you've been fantastic for quite a long period of time here just before we go is there like a philosophy or a motivational quote or something that keeps you going each day each week when things get tough
1: yeah, look, I guess I have a an ingrained fear of failure, like like a lot of a lot of people. Um, I do remember. Uh, I think I've said it already once tonight, but um, Richard Branson's one of his favourite sayings is uh, "Screw it, let's do it." Yeah. And uh, I, at times, have mm. had to pull that one out. You know, we've we've had to change the way we live in the last four years. We we don't still don't know which way up is. Yeah. However, sometimes we've had to just that one out currently it's written on my blackboard at home yeah we blackboarded a whole door because i had to put something on there that uh, where i could read notes yeah and that's on there currently so there must be something going on where i've got to screw it and do it Mm -hmm. uh yeah so that's probably how it is at the moment
0: marcus your fight and strength is inspirational the way you've continued to commit hours and hours to cricket whilst going through what you're going through is nothing short of overwhelming mate and the love and support for you at this club is always and always will be never ending and I hope that that rings true in you mate thank you so much for joining me it's been an absolute pleasure
1: thank you very much thanks for having me